The Bible reading this morning comes um, from the book of John, chapter 10, verses 1 to 18. Very truly, I tell you, Pharisees, anyone who does not enter the sheep pen by the gate but climbs in by some other way is a thief and a robber. The one who enters by the gate is the shepherd of the sheep. The gatekeeper opens the gate for him and the sheep listen to his voice. He calls his own sheep by name and leads them out. When he has brought out all his own, he goes on ahead of them and his sheep follow him because they know his voice. But they will never follow a stranger. In fact, they will run away from him because they do not recognise a stranger's voice. Jesus used this figure of speech, but the Pharisees did not understand what he was telling them. Therefore Jesus said again, Very truly I tell you, I am the gate for the sheep. All who have come before me are thieves and robbers, but the sheep have not listened to them. I am the gate. Whoever enters through me will be saved. They will come in and go out and find pasture. The thief comes only to steal and kill and destroy. I have come that they may have life and have it to the full. I am the good shepherd. The good shepherd lays down his life for the sheep. The hired hand is not the shepherd and does not own the sheep. So when he sees the wolf coming, he abandons the sheep and runs away. Then the wolf attacks the flock and scatters it. The man runs away because he is a hired hand and cares nothing for the sheep. I am the good shepherd. I know my sheep and my sheep know me, just as the Father knows me and I know the Father. And I lay down my life for the sheep. I have other sheep that are not of this sheep pen. I must bring them also. They too will listen to my voice and there shall be one flock and one shepherd. The reason my father loves me is that I lay down my life only to take it up again. No one takes it from me, but I lay it down of my own accord. I have authority to lay it down and authority to take it up again. This command I received from my father. So we're up to about, I think, the fourth, maybe the fourth or fifth even, sermon in this series on the Good Shepherd, which I've really enjoyed um, teaching and also hearing the other sermons. Um, we had Flick and Beck preach also. And uh, now we're up to John chapter 10, which is one of the really famous shepherd sheep parts of the Bible. And it really it highlights something which I have loved um, to think about this week, which is the mind-blowing nature of Jesus' leadership of us, which is that... He leads us through the method of an intimate relationship. And so in this rich passage, it is rich, it's got so much in there, Jesus paints a detailed picture for us to reflect on, to consider. He's going to show us the nature of his relationship with his people. But he's also going to give us a lot um, to think about in terms of our own pastoral leadership. 
of other people. So if we want to be involved in the business of shepherding others in the way of Jesus, this is a good passage to look at. The picture Jesus paints is that of the Near Eastern shepherd organisation that would have been common at the time. That would have been everywhere, these shepherds and sheep and pens. And so let's just remind ourselves of the scenario that he paints for us. There's a chief shepherd, there's under-shepherds in part of the organisation, there's hired hands that sort of uh, don't have the same responsibility as the shepherds, but they're there. There's the sheep, Uh, there's a sheep pen uh, with a gate, and there's pasture on the outside of the pen as well. There's also enemies, the thieves and the robbers, who seek to steal the sheep or cause havoc. And you've got to remind yourself also that in these days, shepherds weren't seen as particularly, um, you know, uh, wholesome characters themselves. So this is a bit unusual that Jesus should paint the picture of a good shepherd and contrast it with bad shepherds. Shepherds had to be on on guard against the threats of thieves and robbers because they didn't want to lose the sheep because it was worth money, it was people's livelihood. The shepherd was the authorised caretaker of the flock. His task required dedication and hard work, vigilance. And this sheep pen may have been in the courtyard near a house or near um, on property of a, of, a, of a landowner, surrounded by a stone wall with um, thorny, a kind of a thorny plant at the top with briars, you know, like a rose bush or something like that. And one family or several families might keep their sheep in, inside this pen, um, so that's what the gate, gate is for and the gatekeeper to know which sheep can go in and which sheep can go out. The gatekeeper was like an under-shepherd, I guess you'd say, part of the team who provided access to the flock. So there's the picture that, that, that Jesus sets before us, the kind of the organisation of the whole shepherd industry. Everyone would have been familiar with that at the time. So let's explore the passage and and learn some things about Jesus and about our own, also our own pastoral leadership. First of all, look at this. In the first six verses, this idea that, here we go, number one, Jesus shepherds us through intimate relationships. The sheep know his voice. Now, something that is quite beautiful about this whole setup is that Jesus, the good shepherd, has a two-way relationship with the sheep in his pen. He knows the sheep They know him. The sheep listen to his voice, it says. When their shepherd speaks, they respond. And they don't tend to respond to other voices. It's like a pet. You know, the pet knows who who to follow and who not to follow. Um, In the Old Testament, God spoke to his people through the prophets. He spoke to them through the law. And people listened to God's voice and responded by obeying the law. But Jesus is saying to those listening to him tell this story about the the sheep pen, that those who desire to follow God in that moment, right then and there, on that day, should do so by listening to Jesus' own voice and by obeying his commandments. And of course, we know if we read the Bible that in the future, God and Jesus will speak to his own, that includes us, through the Holy Spirit. That's the way we listen now. So there's this voice that the sheep know, and he knows them. 
And it says in verse 5, they will never follow a stranger. These strangers are the false shepherds, and we've discussed them at, um, at length over this series. The evil and corrupt leaders. They were people who served their own interests, not the interests of the sheep. They deceive the sheep into thinking that, that they are the Messiah, perhaps. They sow division in the community. They teach that there are other ways to salvation other than through Jesus. So the sheep who know the true shepherd's voice will be able to spot a false shepherd. They will resist their leadership. The shepherd calls his sheep by name as well. That is, individually rather than collectively, which contrasts with the general call issued to the entire flock. It's not just, come on, pen or sheep. It's, come on, Ben. Come on, Tanya. Uh, and they sheep go, yeah, you know me. And I think that's really cool. Um, that To think about this idea that Jesus knows your name. It's not a point of saying that Jesus has got a great memory. By saying that Jesus knows your name means he knows stuff about you and he cares about you. He knows your thoughts. There's the famous Psalm 139 verse 13. For you created my inmost being. You knit me together in my mother's womb. And if you read through the Gospel of John, we see example, example after example of Jesus having these intimate one-on-one conversations with people. Um, and often he's talking about the issue, interestingly, of personal identity. Think of Nathaniel, Nicodemus, the Samaritan woman, Martha, Pilate even, Mary Magdalene, Peter. And what these conversations reveal as he's having this one-on-one chat is that he knows them. He knows them from the start of the conversation, even before that. The, the great theologian Richard Borkham says this. He says, he does not deal with them according to some standard formula, but rather engages the particular point in their lives at which he encounters them. And in many of these examples, Jesus surprises the individual concerned with his personal knowledge of them. Nathaniel, when he, Jesus talks to Nathaniel in John chapter 1, is confused and says, how do you know me? The Samaritan woman is blown away in John chapter 4 and says, I can see that you are a prophet. And Mary Magdalene, remember that the resurrection story in the garden, and there's a figure there in the garden, Mary Magdalene is, is sad because there's no body in the tomb on, resurrection, on the resurrection day. But she doesn't know the resurrection's happened yet. And then, and then the resurrected Jesus says her name and she turns and embraces him. There's that intimate knowledge there, that one-on-one knowledge of the true shepherd with his sheep. And of course, there is one time when you're going to really want to know that Jesus knows your name. And that's when you're standing before him on the last day, when Jesus returns to judge the living and the dead. What you don't want is a situation where you say, Lord, Lord, have I not prophesied in your name, cast out demons in your name, and done many wonders in your name? And you don't want him to say to you, I never knew you. Depart from me, you who practice lawlessness. No, the shepherd knows his sheep, and they know him. One of the weird things that you get taught when you're... Not not at Ridley, you don't get taught this at Ridley, but you get taught in some minister's schools, is this idea that 
if you're a minister, you shouldn't be friends with the congregation, that you should have this real emotional distance. And uh, they're, they're not like that, that description that you see of the, the shepherd and the sheep who know each other, but it's the, you're the priest and they're the congregation. And I think maybe the idea is it's for pastoral care reasons, that how can you really pastorally care for people that you're friends with? Um, but I've never followed that rule. Uh, I, I don't understand. I mean, I can understand it to a point. It is difficult when you're pastoring people that you, you're friendly with, that you're friends with, because uh, sometimes you have to say hard things, you know. But I, I, I have to say I, I'm willing to take that risk with, with people because it's when you really know each other and love each other as friends in the community, not just me, the minister and the congregation, but also amongst the congregation, because we all shepherd each other in a kind of a way, don't we? That Having that intimacy and that friendship really can take community to another level. What it says here in this passage is that the loyalty and the love is so strong that the shepherd goes on ahead of the sheep and the sheep just follow. And it's interesting if you... If you to look at a farmer in Australia, you've got the sheepdog and the sheepdog's kind of pushing the sheep and, and making sure none go out, you know, and there's a kind of a push-push kind of method of, of, of guiding the sheep. Whereas in the Palestinian context, the shepherd just goes ahead and the sheep just follow. And that's what happens with Jesus. So we are to see Jesus as the good shepherd. And we're also to see in this passage the Pharisees as the thieves and the robbers who climb into the pen and don't use the gate. Uh, just after this passage, if you were to read on, um, Jesus heals a blind man. And this, this is supposed to contrast with what happens uh, in the previous chapter where Jesus heals another blind man and the Pharisees cast him out of the synagogue. And it's the same word, cast out, to lead out. So whereas the, the false shepherds, the Pharisees, cast out a blind man that's been healed, Jesus leads out the sheep into the pasture. The Pharisees, the thieves and the robbers, they, they bring death, but the true shepherd brings life. So if the sheep are hearing a stranger's voice or a false shepherd's voice, what will happen, according to Jesus, is they will literally run away. They will exit stage left, which is why I think churches who have false shepherds in their leadership, where the pastor teaches false doctrine, where the pastor calls the Bible into question, what tends to happen is that the numbers in the church just shrink over time. The sheep don't hear the true shepherd's voice coming through in the teaching of the community. They don't recognise the word of God in the life of the church. So they tend to go to another church where they will hear the word of God. And it's not necessarily something that always happens consciously, I don't think. One of the great archbishops of Canterbury from the early 20th century, who was also a theologian and writer, William Temple, he said that in your church leadership, the extent to which the people follow is the extent to which they hear the voice of God in your teaching. And that applies to all ministry, whether you're in the children's ministry or you're leading a community group or whether you're pastorally caring for a friend, 
the extent to which your friend hears the voice of God, which is spoken, which, which they all hear because you're speaking the words of God, not because you were God, but because you're speaking the truth from the scriptures, will be the extent to which they hear the master's voice. And that, to me, blows me away. I love that. So if you're involved in pastoral leadership, you want to put effort into the words that you speak. Don't waffle on. Prepare your Bible studies. If you're a community group leader, put effort in. Pray and ask God to speak through you. Speak the word of God into people's lives. And the extent to which they hear the shepherd speaking through you is the extent to which they will follow. Well, if we go to verse 7 to 10, you see another key idea here, which is that Jesus is the only way to salvation. Now, that's a, it's a, this is a big moment in this passage that's often in debates about, um, you know, do Christians believe that other religions lead you to God? This is one of the ones that um, places that you go to. You say, no, well, Jesus says he's the gate, he's the entrance. So Jesus clarifies, he says, I am the gate for the sheep. So this is where also this, this whole passage gets a bit funky because Jesus sort of presents a, a, a picture and then he jumps around and says, I'm the shepherd, I'm the gate. You know, anyway, we can handle two things at once. He's the gate through whom people may enter and be saved. The shepherds of Israel from times gone by, says Jesus, all who came before me, they were thieves and robbers, the false kings. Uh, Flick talked about that when we looked at Ezekiel 34. These were the imposters, the false messiahs who promised their followers freedom, but instead led them into uh, armed conflict and, and doom. So the 100, 200 years before Jesus came, the Israelites were under a lot of pressure and the war and all kinds of things. Jesus is saying they're not, they were the false robbers. They're not going to lead you to salvation. A political uprising is not going to lead you to salvation. I am the gate, he says. Whoever enters through me will be saved. And people in ancient times, when you, if you read like Homer or those kind of ancient Greek literature, this idea of you entering heaven through a gate is a kind of a common theme. And Jesus is picking that up. He's saying he is the gate. Elsewhere he says, ask and it shall be given to you. Seek and you shall find. Knock on the gate, and it will be open for you. Jesus is the only way to salvation. Jesus is the only way to forgiveness. He's the only way to God. He's the only way to eternal life. There's no point trying to be saved any other way. No other religion, no other effort on your behalf, no other knowledge will save you, no political cause, no other status you might have. In fact, not only will Jesus save you, but he will lead you to to find pasture, he says in verse 9. The pasture he will lead you to is a place of blessing and also a place of eternal blessing. On the other hand, the thief comes to steal, kill and destroy, verse 10. This is how bad the enemies of God people are. Jesus came to give life and give it to the full, whereas the thief offers eternal death. Jesus comes and offers eternal life. So, thinking about our pastoral leadership, pastoral leadership is Christ-centred and it will lead to human flourishing. When I used to lead Mustard, the school's ministry, 
We only had really one, one uh, thing that we'd say to schools when they'd ring us up and say, can you come into our school and do your mustard presentation of um, whatever you do? I'd say, yeah, we can come in. What, what, what theme would you like to talk about? And they'd say a topic like they'd say, how to be a good man, you know, if it was a boys' school or something. They always come up with weird topics like that. Anyway, oh, yeah, we can do that. But we, we, we only talk about any theme as long as we can talk about Jesus. That would be our, that was always our qualification. Because we believed, as a school's ministry, that there was no, no point in, in doing this ministry if it wasn't Christ-centred, because he is the gate to salvation. Um, and so we would always work out how to make Christ the centre of whatever we said in schools. And that's a, that should be applied to all thinking about pastoral leadership. Pastoral leadership should be Christ-centred. And it's going to lead to human flourishing because the shepherd leads you to the pasture. All right. Thirdly, if we keep going through the passage, you see that Jesus shepherds us through the method of sacrifice. He's the good shepherd. In other words, he's not uh, like the thieves and ro robbers who steal and kill and destroy. Rather, Jesus is the shepherd who lays down his life for his sheep. Now, this whole shepherd theme, as we've already discussed, going right, right back to Psalm 23, links to, famously, King David. And when King David was a boy, he was literally a shepherd. And he was a shepherd who literally risked his life for his sheep. There's a great scene uh, in 1 Samuel 17 when uh, young boy David is standing before the King Saul and King Saul's saying, I don't think you really should be facing off with the Philistine Goliath. It's not a good idea, chap. And this is what David says. Your servant has been keeping his father's sheep when a lion or a bear came and carried off a sheep from the flock. I went after it, struck it, and rescued the sheep from its mouth. When it turned on me, I seized it by, by its hair, I struck it, and I killed it. Your servant has killed both the lion and the bear. This uncircumcised Philistine will be like one of them because he has defied the armies of the living God. The Lord who rescued me from the paw of the lion and the paw of the bear will rescue me from the hands of this Philistine. Can you imagine being a young boy saying that to the king? Anyway, it's pretty cool. So the good shepherd, uh, the shepherd boy who risked his life for his sheep would go on to be a good shepherd king who would risk his life for the Israelites as well. But Jesus is the even greater, the greatest David, the greater David. He is the greatest shepherd who will take on more than a lion, more than a, than a bear. He will take on sin and evil and darkness. He will not only risk his life, but give up his life for the sheep. The hired hand, in contrast to the shepherd, will abandon the flock in times of danger. He's no, he's no character in the model of David at all. He'll put his self-interest first. So as we think about pastoral leadership again, pastoral leadership involves sacrifice and might even mean intentionally going into a place of danger, into a context where you'll face opposition. Think about, um, I don't know if you know the story, or there's a great movie with David Wenham called Molokai about Father Damien, the missionary who went to um, a leper colony on an island off Hawaii. He spent his life living amongst lepers in a time when there was no medication for, for 
and they didn't understand all the health issues there. And you know, that's the kind of sacrifice that we're called to. And so a key aspect of our pastoral leadership is that we should lead in a way that is sacrificial. You know, sometimes when people listen to the notices in church and we say, um, these are the ministries we're inviting people to, we'd like people to help out, sometimes often what we do is we think, oh, that's a bit too hard, or oh, I have to get up early in the morning for that, oh, that's not good, oh, that, that might involve one night a week going to a, something, or, you know, oh, you know, I might have to talk to people if I go to do that one, you know. Um, but the thing is, Pastoral leadership in the way of the shepherd involves sacrifice. It involves something sometimes going into contexts that are really difficult. At one point, Jesus says to his disciples, um, as he sends them out to ministry, to do ministry, that they will be as sheep among wolves. So I challenge you to take on some kind of leadership that is hard, that is costly, that, that will involve your sacrifice. Perhaps it's time-consuming. Maybe it costs you money even. Perhaps you'll get um, no praise for what you're doing. Um, I, I know even people, I've got friends who've consciously like, limited their, they haven't worked five days a week, they've worked four days a week to reserve one day so that they can serve God in some kind of way. If that's something you could do, maybe you should think about doing that. And as you worry about what this might involve, Remember that there are Christians all around the world exercising pastoral leadership in the way of the great shepherd whose lives are in danger every day. Every day they go off to church, never sure if they're going to be arrested or killed. As the early church father Tertullian wrote concerning the persecuted Christians in Rome, he said, the blood of the martyrs is the seed of the church. And this brings us to our fourth and last point, which is that Jesus is also the chief Shepherd, for people not like you, verses 14 to 18. So Jesus' sacrificial death will establish a special relationship between believers and himself. This relationship will be patterned after Jesus' relationship with the Father. He says, I know my sheep and my sheep know me, and we've already established that, just as the Father knows me and I know the Father. So the deep love and intimacy that exists in the Godhead Remember when we say the creed at church, we say we believe in Father, Son, and Spirit. That's what you call the Godhead. The intimacy that exists between the Father, Son, and the Son is the same kind of intimacy that the Son has with us. And I think that that, that should blow your mind away. Just meditate that on, on that for half an hour. But Jesus then says to, to the Israelites listening to this illustration that there are even more sheep out there that you don't even know about that he also wants to bring in. And this is, he's probably talking about the Gentiles. Uh, he, he's anticipating the fact that soon um, the church will go out and will reach beyond the Jewish community and bring the Gentiles into the pen. But there won't be two flocks, says Jesus. It won't be like there's a Jewish flock and a Gentile flock. There's only going to be one flock and one shepherd. And so the application that we can think about here is that pastoral leadership is always evangelistic. It's always outward focused. The true shepherd is always looking out to see who else can be brought in. So there's no place for inward looking self-indulgence in our pastoral care for each other. Self-obsession is no place in the life of the church. 
we should be looking outwards. So in your context where you exercise leadership, whether it's here at church or whether you lead a group of some kind or in your workplace, you should have your eyes on the inside of the pen but also on the outside of the pen. What we've been talking about this morning is the true shepherd and his sacrificial, outward-looking relationship with us. And I think this has given some great guidelines for our own lives as we live our lives in ministry. I'll just remind you as we finish. Firstly, Jesus shepherds us through an intimate relationship. The sheep know his voice and he knows them by their name. So pastoral leaders should seek to speak with God's voice by speaking his truth from the Bible. And secondly, Jesus is the only way to salvation. He's the gate through which you enter the pen. So pastoral leadership must be Christ-focused, Christ-centered, and that will lead to human flourishing. And thirdly, Jesus shepherds us through sacrifice. Jesus is the shepherd who lays down his life for his sheep. So pastoral leadership should be about sacrifice. It might mean intentionally ministering in contexts which you will face opposition. And fourthly, Jesus is also the chief shepherd for people not like you. So pastoral leadership is evangelistic and outward-looking. Let's pray. Lord God, we lift up uh, this image before you, before you and thank you that you painted it so amazingly to us. And yeah, there's so much for us to meditate on, the intimacy that we have with you. Thank you that you know us all by our name and that you love us and you care about us and you treat us each as individuals but also as a community, as a flock. And thank you that um, we can follow you into pasture and we have the great hope that ultimately we will rest with you in eternity um, in the pasture with you. Amen.